thecooperageproject.org. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And it is Monday. I guess it's also a holiday once again on a Monday. Nonetheless, coming up in the second half of the program, we will check in with Joe Abraham from the Sullivan County Democrat for our weekly news roundup from the Democrat with the latest that's happening in the area. First up, it's the other thing that we do on a Monday. We start off the week checking in with Sullivan County government. Something else we've been doing on the local edition is tracking the issue of housing. Access to housing, access to affordable housing, impacts of more people moving to the Hudson Valley, Catskills, and Northeast Pennsylvania. Well, you know, Adrian Jensen, Executive Director of the Sullivan County Human Rights Commission, says that the county is currently experiencing a housing crisis due to this growing population. She says there's a real shortage of affordable housing, and she's about to tell us more in person because joining us on the phone, it's Sullivan County Human Rights Commission Executive Director Adrian Jensen. Welcome back to the show, Adrian. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. So, um, yeah, this is what we're talking about today is this housing issue. And I guess we'll, we'll just start off by uh, just having you reiterate the, the words that I already put in your mouth that, that you've been saying that we're actually facing a crisis here. That is that the case? Oh, it's definitely the case. And it is it's disturbing. You know, it, it's disturbing to get calls into the office hearing about what's going on. It's disturbing to watch um, because it's affecting people across the, the board. I mean, there's just not inventory available for folks. Mm. Can you give us some examples of some of the things that you're hearing without you know giving away anybody's personal information? Can you describe the sorts of things you're yeah. hearing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I am, I am hearing and concerned about several different things. One is um, a lack of education um, on the part of housing laws uh, that that folks have been provided with. So there are things that occur between landlord and tenant where a landlord will give a tenant, for instance, an understanding that if they don't do a particular, you know, thing, they'll be kicked out. If they make complaints to the building department, they'll be kicked out. Or, you know, maybe the landlord will just present them with something um, and say, you know, you've got to be out by next week kind of thing. And there's a process, there's a real process that one has to go through to change, you know, rent past a certain percentage to um, evict someone. And I think that folks do not have the knowledge of what those laws and rules are and, and what to do if they find themselves in, in trouble. That's a concern because they might find themselves in a situation where they are being booted out. Um, and then the next issue becomes, where do they stay? And, um, you know, I think that Airbnb, for instance, is a, a lovely program on many levels, but it's also, you know, causes a lot of issues for folks in terms of inventory going and prices going up. You know, people realize that they're able to make a, you know, nice 
bit of money um, with the property that's available here. So you're saying because there's there's rental options, essentially there's space, there's physical space that people are renting uh, um, essentially to, to people on short-term basis through something like Airbnb, that's taking away from the availability of living space for people yes. on a longer-term basis. Yes. You know, I think after or during COVID, a lot of folks came up here from the city or, you know, uh, mostly I'd, I'd say from the city. Um, it's, you know, you see great, gorgeous land and, and property and and um, maybe someone doesn't want to live here, but they want to have a place that they can kind of come and retreat to. And it's really great to, you know, it's a great, great opportunity for um, people with a, you know, second, second uh, um, property to, um, come here, fix it up, and and rent it out. You know, once it's fixed up and and someone's renting it out, the the amounts that uh, you know for for rent are much higher than um, folks who are living here are typically able to um, afford. And um, the houses that are available for rent, there are a lot of them. And I, I don't say all of them, but there are a lot of them that are in horrible shape. I think also during COVID, there are people who came up to Sullivan County and purchased property and maybe fixed it up just well enough to get someone in who was really desperate to find a place, received rents for the location. This is something that I've seen quite a bit, received rents for the location and did not use any of that money to fix up the place. And a lot of the places that I'm hearing about have issues of mold, holes in the roof, you know, holes in the floor, um, no hot water, you know, no heat. These kind of things are happening. Um, and tenants are so desperate to have a place to live that they won't complain about it because if they complain, then, you know, maybe the, their house is going to get condemned and they'll be without any place to live. So there's just, there's, there's a, myriad of things uh, that are that are happening right now um i think there are some solutions and i think that you know there are some great minds that are that are brainstorming on other solutions as well there's a lot that's going on there and it also has various implications like it's not just an issue of this one type of person doing x that needs to do y it's it's there's a number there's there's things that the that people that are looking for housing need to be better informed uh renters and owners need to be better informed it sounds like there there should be some sort of uh, additional uh, regulation going on or at least enforcement of regulation another thing i mean you just talk about in broad terms, people moving up to our area from the urban areas to the south and southeast, like just for yes. example, the median income in Sullivan County is about, you know, $31,000 as of the last census. The median yes. income in, in Queens County is more than twice that, about 75000 yeah. So yeah. you're talking about just right off the bat, without regardless of anybody's intention or anything else, if you have a market that's being driven by people who work somewhere where they make twice as much, that, that yes. kind of tells you what's going to happen to the price of available properties and, and rentals. Yes. And, um, you know, we're, I, I know that we're working on making solutions for folks here, but people are having a hard time just, getting to and from their job. They're having a hard time just putting food on the table. 
And so having an issue, for instance, with a, with high rent or having a landlord that is providing substandard living conditions um, often becomes a, a civil matter where folks need to, you know, seek some sort of uh, legal recourse. And, you know, there are some organizations like uh, Legal Services of the Hudson Valley who are really wonderful in assisting people. But there's only so much, uh, you know, that can be put on them. And, you know, also they have to have enough lawyers available in the area to um, assist. And so in the end, you know, you have folks who are trying to find an attorney who will take their case pro bono. um, And that's pretty difficult to find. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, it's pretty difficult to find. There's also a a agency called the the Rural Law Center. That's a place that I have recommended folks to as well. Um, They are not able to come and represent, um, you know, because they're way up in in Albany, but, um, or maybe they might be a little little closer. So this um, is part of what I wanted to ask was, because we talk so much about like what what is the nature of the crisis and what may be driving it. And now we're talking about like what steps, you know, are being taken to address it or need to be taken to address it. I wanted to ask what you're able to do uh, in the Human Rights Commission. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like you're, you're a lot of what you're able to do is just try to connect people to these other organizations is, is that is that right yeah well um i definitely tried to there are several different agencies and offices that are working on the issue um and you know whether it's increasing housing or whether it's um you know uh working on um you know uh talking with the for lack of a better word bad players um, that are, you know, landlords. Um, there, there are offices and agencies that are working on improving that or, or making sure that they get out uh, um, uh, the lists of available housing for folks who, who can't find something or whether it's assisting folks with a, fir- you know, um, first month's rent. Um, you know, those sort of things are, are places that I can kind of point people in those directions. But something that uh, I was just speaking with um, John Little about uh, yesterday, actually, was um, the desire that uh, I have, and I think that he shares as well, to have some sort of something available to educate folks, you know, whether it be landlords to let them know what can and can't be done, whether it be some sort of registry and there's issues around, you know, the legalities of of doing that. You know, how can one register like LLCs, for instance, where when you have an issue and you, you have, you know, a tenant has a positive uh, judgment in their favor, how do they go out then go after an LLC? So, you know, working on that, but also just educating on some basic things like taking every receipt that you have and saving it, sending emails or text messages as opposed to having verbal conversations so that you have a record of, you know, everything that's happened. Um, You know, if a landlord is doing something that it should not be occurring, that, you know, violates some sort of uh, regulation, um, still holding that money um, in, in, uh, you know, for instance, in a, a bank check, um, 
so that you can prove that, you know, it's not that you're not trying to pay your rent. It's just that this person isn't following the law. So those kind of things, you know, educating people regarding that, maybe even, you know, uh, having some sort of uh, conversation with judges so that they understand um, a little more of the context of what's happening because, you uh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not sure that everybody knows like uh, some of the details that that we hear um, in the the service professions, the human services. Yeah, it sounds like it's not entirely clear what what the response needs to be outside of it needs to be something, and it sounds like it needs to be something yeah. more than what exists right now, whatever Absolutely. form that infrastructure takes. Is there anything else you want to get to uh, in this story? You know, I I think that from my perspective, the Issues that are occurring mostly are centered around substandard living conditions, lack of funds on the the part of tenants to go after bad players once folks have been evicted. And again, a lot of the cases that I'm seeing right now are not cases that are um, because people have not paid their rent. It's really that something has been done to them. Um, so, you know, once they've been thrown out, then the issue is finding a place to live. Um, and um, so those, you know, that's really what, what I'm seeing. And again, I feel like some of the solutions are being worked on, you know, in the county government, for instance, um, with a bunch of offices to figure out um, how to increase housing in the county. But I think that that, you know, could take a while. And in the interim, there needs to be some solutions to at least alleviate some of that. And, and I think that education um, on the part on all for all parts, I think is what's really going to help. And somehow having a better way of contacting landlords and, and litigating um, when laws are broken, you know, town and village laws are broken, is going to be important as well. All right. Well, Adrian, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome. Thank you very much for for taking the time to uh, cover this. Adrian Jensen is the executive director of Sullivan County Human Rights Commission. Talking about an important issue, housing. We're going to keep following housing here on the local edition in upcoming episodes because it is such a pressing issue. And uh, the Sullivan County Human Rights Commission is at 845-807-0189. That's 807-0189. The Rural Law Center of New York that Adrian mentioned, ruralawcenter.org. That's ruralawcenter.org. Equal access to justice for low-income New Yorkers in 44 counties. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, New York Senate voted down Governor Hochul's pick for chief judge. What happens next, especially with a $227 billion budget that they have to agree on? We have more on that coming up. Plus, the latest local news from the Sullivan County Democrat Managing Editor Joe Abraham joins us coming up next. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. I 
Kuz Earl Grace, KG, doing African American history during the month of February. Black History Month was originally created to fight ignorance and to prevent the continuation of misconception about black people and their history. So I'll be doing presentations on black history from then until now. So please check me out Tuesday on the Music Emporium. Welcome back to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm Jason Dole. Coming up, we'll be talking to Joe Abraham, Sullivan County Democrat, for a weekly news roundup. Get the latest local news. First, a little uh, news from Albany. Now that the New York State Senate has, for the first time ever, rejected a governor's choice for chief judge, Governor Kathy Oakle will have to choose a new nominee and convince the Senate to agree with her choice. And uh, this issue still simmering, even as the governor and legislature engage in their biggest task of the year, coming to agreement on a $227 billion state budget. Karen DeWitt has more. Ever since the Senate Judiciary Committee rejected Governor Hochul's choice for the next chief judge, Hector LaSalle, Hochul had insisted that the Constitution requires a vote of all 63 senators, not just a single committee. On February 15th, Hochul finally got her way. The entire Senate voted on LaSalle, and he lost again. 39 senators, virtually all Democrats, voted against him, and just 20 voted in favor, mostly Republicans. It was a rebuke to Hochul from members of her own party who believed that LaSalle was too conservative to hold the post. The governor tried to put a positive spin on it, saying that she was victorious in winning a full up or down vote on her nominee. have the advice and consent of the Senate, not simply a committee, which was the position that was held by everybody else, Uh, up until today, so I think this is a good outcome to at least let it get to the floor of the Senate. The dispute comes as the governor and legislature face an April 1 deadline to agree on a new state budget. They have just six weeks to work on a spending plan. Hochul, speaking on WAMC's Capital Connection, says she won't let the fight stand in the way. I'm very able to compartmentalize different issues. I've been in this business a long time. I've had to work with you know, people throughout life who've uh, not necessarily agreed with me on every issue. And, but there's other issues where you find common interests. The governor says she wants to change the culture in Albany, and she doesn't plan to hold a grudge. She describes her relationship with Senate leader Andrea Stork-Cousins as friendly. She says they met for nearly two hours before the vote was held to talk about budget priorities. Stork-Cousins agrees that the fight over the chief judge is not interfering with work on the budget and other issues. And she says the confirmation process is more fraught with tension because of recent decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court, including ones that rescinded abortion rights and struck down New York's gun safety laws that deal with the carrying of concealed weapons. Everybody is paying attention, riveted, to who's sitting in these seats, who's sitting in the judiciary, who's making these decisions. So it was not inappropriate for us, with the eyes of the nation and the eyes of the state, on us to look for a nominee that was able to lead the court in this really, really critical time. Hochul says she will now begin the nomination process all over again. She'll request a new list of nominees from the state's Judicial Nominating Commission. 
Democratic senators who oppose LaSalle have said they want the governor to choose someone that they believe will uphold liberal values and protect society's most vulnerable. Senate leader Stuart Cousins says whomever Hochul chooses will, like LaSalle, face scrutiny from the Senate. She says the times require senators to set a high bar and that they are seeking a visionary leader to head the courts. Somebody who comes with those sorts of uh, credentials and the kind of vision that is in sync with what we need, as well as the leadership qualities, as well as the management qualities, people will be open and receptive. Stuart Cousins says this time she wants to get it done. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thank you, Karen DeWitt, for that report. Thank you, New York State Public Radio as well. And thank you for listening as we have our last guest of the day to go over the local news. It's time once again for our Sullivan County Democrat Weekly News Roundup. And for that, we turn to Joe Abraham. Joe, welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's always good to be here. So uh, Sullivan County legislative meetings typically happen on Thursdays. Did you go last Thursday? And if so, what were folks talking about? So uh, Derek's been filling in for me in the short term at legislature uh, while um, we um, are kind of moving some different responsibilities around. Uh, But uh, I'm recapping his, uh, there's a bunch of stuff discussed, but the big public hearing was held on the uh, solid waste and uh, garbage uh, issues that the county has moving forward into the future. Uh, We've talked about it a little bit before. I know I've done it in my past updates, and it's been a, you know, there's been a discussions about uh, what are we going to do in Seneca Meadows landfill, which is upstate, where we send a large percentage of our waste as a county. Uh, it closes in a few years because it's reached capacity. Uh, the state's kind of not really interested in, uh, you know, granting more space to these landfills that already exist. Um, and when this stuff happens, you know, we're looking at the cost to ship our garbage, which is currently costing us about $16 million a year. Uh, tripling to about $48 million a year, which could be a significant cost to the county. So the legislature has been trying to discuss exactly how they're going to address this issue uh, in the county. And, uh, you know, they've had a couple presentations from Use Energy in the past, uh, which was met with some public uproar um, because of some of Use Energy's reputations or, or situations in other parts of the state um, on a possible R&D project at the landfill. So nothing's happened as far as that goes, but um, the county decided in the next step in the process was to have a public hearing last Thursday to invite you know people to speak and for everyone just to kind of have a conversation about it. Um, there was uh, some discussions about how composting takes up about 33% of the county's waste currently um, and that uh, we have a composting project that's been in the works, but it's taken a long time with permitting and DEC stuff. Um, for it to really, uh, you know, move along. So it's something that's been a couple-year process. It's still in the works. Uh, there's also a 10-year solid waste management plan, which I know is all very riveting stuff, I'm sure, to the listeners of WJFF. But, um, you know, but it's you know it's important in a way because if, you know, you don't figure out where you're going to take all the garbage and everything, I mean, you know, it's going to be a big problem for everyone to have to deal with because it's easy for us to just discard it at the transfer station or someone to come pick it up, but it really is a big issue. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the public comments were talking about needing a culture change and, you know, uh, going to a zero-waste model. There was some discussion about Sullivan County, if they found some other 
options to kind of limit the amount that we have to be able to have our own landfill in the county. Um, there were some discussions about working with other counties. On a, you know, um, also, the chairman of the legislature, Rob Doherty, has said multiple times that whatever they do, it needs to be a multi-pronged attack. It's not going to be solved by one particular uh, method. Um, and so that was a few of the different uh, public comments that were discussed. And uh, it's something that's, like I said, time is of the essence. Um, there, there's a committee that was formed uh, between some legislators and county officials with various expertise and sustainable uh, in public works and, and that nature. Um, they've yet to meet, but they have formed. Um, so that was that was an update that was given. So it's definitely something to watch uh, moving forward. Um, but uh, other people have said in presentations, you know, if you can't find a place to take your garbage down the road, you know, uh, it's going to end up on your lawns, which nobody wants. Right. So, it's interesting that the public comments are including things like, you know, looking at zero waste. I, I'd be interested to see our, if the multi-pronged approach, is, as uh, Chairman of the Legislature uh, Doherty says multi-pronged, if one of those prongs is some effort for uh, waste reduction. What was the number on the compostables, about 30% or 33%? Yeah, around 33%, yeah. And so are they saying that that's, that's currently people are composting, that's 33% that could be in the waste stream, or that's 33% more that could come out if there was more composting done? Uh, from my understanding, that's currently 33% of the waste in the county. is it, Composting takes that up is what I've gathered. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, there's other conversations they've had too about packaging and things that are kind of out of the control of a small county, um, because you know it's, it's really a, an issue that needs to be addressed in, in a lot of different facets, some beyond the scope of just you know a small area and up in, in New York. But the um, but yeah, no shipping and stuff will be expensive because right now we're shipping it still in the state of New York um, to this landfill. But, you know, you're looking at Ohio or Virginia as being the next places, you know, in a couple of years if they don't find a more, you know, local option or whatnot. And that, that'll be the expensive stuff, so. All right. Well, thank you for the update on that story. And like you said, it is it is important. Now, the Heartathon happened uh, this this past weekend on, on Friday. Uh, we had uh, Don Corciari from uh, Bold Gold Media on to talk about it. Uh, what actually happened at the Heartathon? Do we know how much they raised? As of so last Friday, by day's end, they raised $103,198, uh, which is an amazing total. I'm not quite sure if that's their highest ever, but I think it's higher than in recent years because I feel like it's always been near the 90s or the low 100s, if anything. But um, but it's really cool that, that uh, they were able to raise that much money. Uh, it shows, once again, the generosity that our area shows on a, a regular basis. Um this year was a little different than past hardathons. Uh, Garnet Health was still a very big beneficiary um, with uh, some cardiac monitors and uh, cardiac uh, treadmill for the cardiac rehab being uh, will be used with uh, out of this funds to make purchases for that. But they also decided to spread the wealth a little bit this year to a couple different community organizations like the Warrior Teens Program and an outdoor fitness pad in Monticello through Sullivan 180. Uh, single Bites Real Food School Education Program is going to get some funding from this. On uh, Building Sullivan's Healthcare Workforce Scholarships with SUNY Sullivan will also get some funding for this. So they really decided to take a look at um, you know some other areas that they could contribute to the betterment of our health in Sullivan County. Um, and so that was really cool. And since the Heartathon uh, was uh, created uh, 45 years ago, 
they've uh, raised over $2.5 million in the fight against heart disease. So it shows it's very impactful uh, what this uh, little community can do uh, to really uh, provide things, uh, you know, for, for our local population. And um, another big issue um, on the topic of health is blood, right? So we have this shortage of blood that's existed in this area of the country, and I'm sure nationally, too, in, in many places. But um, the three rotary clubs in the county, uh, Monticello, Liberty, Livingston Mayor, uh, teamed up to host a blood drive uh, right next door to the Hardison uh, in the casino. And uh, they had 68 people give blood, 54 usable pints were collected, which they've deemed a huge success. And the three clubs are going to hold another blood drive as well as a mental health fair at Resorts World Catskills on May 20th. So as a Rotarian, I can speak to that May 20th is going to be the Rotary Day of Service where Rotary clubs uh, you know, are encouraged, each club or clubs to team up to do some type of impactful service-driven um, activity. And so that's going to be the um, the next event, or the event that the three county uh, Rotary Clubs are going to team up on. And uh, due to giving blood timeline, uh, people who gave at the Hardathon will be eligible to give blood again by that date. Okay, well, Joe, I want to thank you for taking the time to give us this weekly news roundup. Oh, it's always great, and you guys have a wonderful week at WJFF. You too. And that's going to do it for tonight's local edition. We will be back tomorrow night with more local conversations, news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you for listening. Please do keep on listening on air as well as online, on your smartphone, on your smart speaker. Just ask it to play Radio Catskill and sign up for the Radio Catskill local edition podcast so you never miss any of the news and information that we bring to you every weekday night. We'll be back tomorrow evening at 6.30. Got Laura Flanders coming up. This is Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Narrowsburg Union and Catskills Curated, presenting products of regional artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen. Gift wrapping and shipping available on site. Narrowsburgunion.com. Tavern on Main, a neighborhood bar and restaurant on Main Street in Jeffersonville, New York, featuring local American fare, specialty cocktails, craft beers, and Sunday brunch. Menu and hours online at tavernonmainny.com. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org.